Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. It is episode nine of season three for us. It is a newer movie. Chris, it was your choice. You're going to have to do a lot of explaining <laughs> as to how yeah. and why you came to this movie. Uh, so first of all, what did you choose? I chose the new Casey Affleck thriller, question mark, Every Breath You Take. Uh, yeah by a you know up and co- no down incoming director down and, uh, down but, and out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his name's von stein we will uh get into it uh in depth later but uh in terms of like what made me uh, i did not actually though it might seem like it close my eyes and randomly point it somewhere on the internet to choose this week's film. Um, there's a uh, three reasons that I've come to the conclusion. To. Oh, nice. Um, and I will say that I was only vaguely conscious of one of them when I actually did pick the movie. It took some real deep dive into my heart to realize why I've done this to us. Um, yeah. First reason, uh, it's a Casey Affleck movie with a pop song. Uh, title and one of my favorite movies of the 2000s though i uh wince at the idea of revisiting it is uh gone baby gone also a (laughs) wait that's one of your favorite movies from the 2000s (sighs) that's a long period of time i know i know but i did not know that going into this (laughs) i'm doubly surprised at this point (laughs) but gone baby gone uh yeah, I don't know. But uh, another Casey <laughs> Affleck uh, pop song thriller um, title. And uh, so I think that was just like the initial pull is like, oh, yeah, there's familiarity there. And yeah. uh, I will say that, like, you know, whatever dude's canceled, um, he did some pretty fucked up things, uh, said yeah. some pretty fucked up things to a lot of his female co-stars that and co-workers. During that movie. What was it? The, uh, the Whatever that pseudo documentary. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I that I mean that was a that was a piece of crap. Um <laughs> but uh but I will say that like apart from that uh at least until that moment I very much was a Casey Affleck apologist. Um I thought that he was like the talented Affleck brother. Um and uh that was also the same year, right, that well it really came to a head when he was starting to pack, pick up traction award season for Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Um, a movie that I really loved, uh, and and they just but but it was made problematic by the fact that you know here's this creep and kind of bad dude uh, getting all this critical acclaim for it. Um, I will say though, you know, trying to take it apart. Uh, I mean, Kenneth Lonergan I think is one of the best screenwriters of our time, and uh, I think that the dude was perfect for the role. So I see Casey Affleck in uh, like playing doing his sad guy thing in like gray coloring and uh there's something there that uh that that attracts me and also um, michelle monahan was also in gone baby gone so it's a reunion of those two actors uh, probably once again i'm the only person that uh was like looking for that reunion maybe um <laughs> then, i love that though that's good uh then uh the third and final uh factor that didn't like i said didn't really come to uh my consciousness until probably the third act of the film where I was like, literally I started this movie at like 11 o'clock at night because I'm an insane person, but I just last night. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. That's great. And, and so like, head. I am like, gl- like giddily laughing on the, my couch 
watching this movie at like 12 15 at night and uh the third act it just like crystallizes for me is like i was obsessed as like a preteen um with watching movies like sleeping with the enemy hand that rocks the cradle what i like to call charming stalker movies Uh, totally yeah and uh i i kind of didn't really realize that this was going to be one of those because they kind of tried to you know in the log line it's not that obvious um but i mean you can kind of tell from the get-go just from like some of the promotional images i didn't even see the trailer before i picked the movie um but like i see the word psychological i see and then i see that casey Affleck's playing a therapist and it's just like oh this is gonna be problematic as hell and uh it made me excited in a very kind of schadenfreude kind of way and I've seen you added the wolves and sheep's clothing, charming stalker thrillers to our deep dives. And there's so many movies on here. I know, um, right? I mean, I was like fatal attraction. Pacific Heights was a big one for me back in 1990. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. That one's really creepy. Um, Sleeping on the anime. I just rewatched like six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It's still fun. Um, Yeah. It's a fascinating genre that really sort of, I guess it's supposed to dissect suburbia. Or like the domestic life on some level, I think. Yeah, um, or like, yeah, there's some sort of criticism there, or suburban criticism going on. Um, but I think with it's this very, one, it, go it's ahead. Very, I was just saying, it's like it, it. One of the things that I feel like it's very entrenched with, because like you and I grew up in the '90s, is yeah. the stranger danger phenomenon. Totally, yeah, right. Yeah. And like that was such a part of our like uh, zeitgeist of. Uh, being a kid in the 90s in suburbia so like that particular aspect of it was probably what drew me to like watch sleeping with the enemy on whatever the fuck uh, wb network you know uh edited for television um and uh and that's just been like this it's like it's it's that whole thing where it's just like you know you you don't want to think that anybody that would be kind to you for the first act of a story, whether it's a fictional story or real life, would ever turn on you. But it's all it's like baked into American culture now that like don't trust anybody. Well, the, yeah, I mean, there's a whole cultural thing with it. Like we're not we're not a sort of community based civilization. <laughs> like we're right, 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 right. We all do our own thing. You know, it's live free or die is our society's motto. And you so, got to look like, out for number one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so what's I'll, the log line here um did we talk about the log line yet i don't think we did like, no go for it about? all right so uh psychiatrist uh, played by casey affleck um has a patient a spoiler alert she ends up committing suicide in like the first what 10 minutes um yeah. mm-hmm. and essentially uh her brother comes around after she commits suicide and starts to get very uh lodged in his life uh he has uh, a wife and a daughter a teenage daughter and is played by india isley who's like 28 or 27 when this is filmed uh which comes out at the end uh when her voice changed did you notice this it's no i like, did not i picked out all these weird things about this movie um so she has like a teenager's voice up until like the third act <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's talking like an adult female like it, there's like, like a difference in tone and stuff yeah i was like yeah this is she just seemed way too old to be playing a teenager oh but that's i guess the norm of the industry so right right uh, in any event so he's got this wife and daughter they had and i don't even know if i have this right like the basics of the story and i've watched it twice um (laughs) they had a son 
who is killed in a car accident, which we see in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. And then that then comes back. How really? Do, I mean, it sort of does. Um, just because, you know, this patient's brother starts to be, he's the stalker dude. He's the charming stalker dude with a, a pretty um, decent British accent. Uh, it sort of comes back. So it's like there's these different layers of trauma. Uh, but going into it, it's really important to know that whereas a lot of these sort of domestic thrillers are all about like this tight knit um salad family that gets disrupted by this outlier this otherness right Mm -hmm. um this family is completely a mess uh and they hate each other they don't talk to each other they're emotionally stunted uh so it's a very strange sort of um domestic thriller because normally the the wolf's gonna come in and kind of screw stuff up but he doesn't i mean in this case it's like there's it's already screwed up right yeah. so he's coming in and kind of like playing on their vulnerabilities um in any event uh so where did this come from who who was involved in this movie uh and how is it released like what are the basics on that yeah well this is it's i actually found some um conflicting info on oh, I this. love conflicting info. <laughs> yeah. So, and it seems like you found out uh, what I had thought at first, which is that this script's been ha- ha- laying around for eight, nine years now. Yeah, um, I think so. so in, in 2012, it was announced that Rob Reiner would direct the film, which is like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> both in terms of tone and in terms of like, why would such a big name pick up something like this? But also, um, uh, then I got another piece of info. I was tri- really trying to like, I was, I was going to like the third or fourth Google results page. Dude. It was really hard <laughs> to find information on this movie. I'm not going to lie. Usually we can find a ton of stuff in interviews, yeah. like right off the bat. This one, you had to, you had to dig pretty deep to find. You do. Good you info. do. And so I ended up on horrornews.net and uh, director Von Stein did an interview there in which he said that um, the producer, Richard B. Lewis, um, one of the founders of Southpaw Entertainment um, had been trying to make, he said this in the interview, unless it's a typo, he said in the interview, Richard B. Lewis had been trying to get this film made for 18 years. What? That makes no sense. That so I'm like, like he's like making up a story to like, <laughs> right, I don't know. It's so like bizarre. Um, but I mean, it's just believable enough that like this guy uh, who had, you know, been, um a partner in of trilogy entertainment for 17 years and then wanted to get into his own thing in the mid 80s uh and especially with when this 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 genre the charming stalker genre yeah blew up in the 90s early 90s uh which is right when he hit it big with backdraft in 91 and robin hood prince of thieves the same year so it's like it's like i don't know it, it either and the other thing that like just makes this even more of a mystery uh, is that the the script is attributed to a guy named David Murray who has yeah. no other credits on IMDb, um, has no That's footprint on the bizarre. internet at all. Like, yeah. does David Murray even exist? I don't know. Maybe it's um, Von Stein and just, <laughs> right? like, it's, it's nom de plume or whatever. Or maybe it's um, Richard B. Lewis. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Which plays perfectly into this film. There's a lot of red herrings and <laughs> yeah. switcheroos going Pseudonyms. on. Pseudonyms. <laughs> um yeah and so like it sounds like okay so from the production side of things 
it's from from some veterans, right? Like these yeah. guys kind of know what they're doing, right? They've been um, around. But what I mean, what I find strange about this, and I was looking through the the notes on because I couldn't really figure out with the pandemic, it's very odd how movies are getting released, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some were slated for theatrical, then they got pushed back indefinitely, then they got pushed to VOD. Some are getting sort of you know the Warner Brothers stuff where they're putting stuff on HBO Max and uh, releasing in theaters. With this one as a smaller film, uh, had a lot more trouble, I think, getting released. It basically what happened was it was acquired for distribution just about a month ago uh, on March eighth. Vertical Entertainment um, acquired the North American rights to to sort of put this out um, as the theatrical release, but also on VOD uh, kind of at the same time. So it's a day and date release um for a movie like this i mean does it have any box office information i didn't see any at all no impossible I mean, to find supposedly yeah, I mean, I, it was released theatrically limited um but it might just be like literally a, one theater in la and one theater in nyc well because they when they want to get like awards no, i don't know i don't know kidding? like why even bother they possibly kidding I don't um Okay, cool. So, and then, you know, who else is in this? Cassie, Casey Affleck, obviously we know. Um, Sam Claflin, that's how you say his name, right? I guess. Yes, <laughs> Claflin. Uh, you know, he looks really familiar, right, to me. Have you ever seen Me Before You? No, I don't know what that is. Uh, so he plays the role, not the lead in Oh, that. shit. He was in The Nightingale, which I love. Yeah, Have yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's a pretty good actor, I think. He actually was really good in Me Before You. That movie's terrible. Don't watch it. Um, it's actually, like, really insulting and offensive. Okay. Um, but he's great in it. Uh, and uh, I feel like, you know, his performance in this, and uh, he, the film kind of rides on his performance, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, it, it doesn't really work. You know, obviously, he's the stalker, charming, you know, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing person in the film and the story. Um, and he, I think he shows up, um, but I think that like, you know, when you're talking about the script, you don't know where, where it's from. It's trying to harken back to, uh, a genre that was big in the nineties. Does it have the same punch that genre now as it did back then? I mean, just Hell generally, no. what do you think? Well, why I, not though? I, That's what I, I don't get. Why not? You know, and I, I was like, we, we, I mean, we've, we've uh, kind of found connections between the pandemic and a lot of the movies we've um, been looking at and, you know, release timing versus like delaying it, etc. Um, but I that was really like looming large because so much of this movie is about a family stuck in their house yeah. and the house is uh, and there's a lot of interesting, well, interesting and in quote marks. Um reasons why they went with this but similar to what you were saying earlier it's like they're trying to capitalize on the family's vulnerability rather than their tight-knittedness which is what was usually the the aim for the movies in the 90s um with like a few exceptions um probably the thing that like resonated the most with me was uh thinking about the cable guy and how sure. uh, there were and uh, Chuck and Buck, like these movies that like played with that genre in the yeah. mid to late 90s, early 2000s, where they like started being a little more self-aware of the kind of ridiculousness here. And so like this movie is trying to like have this very clinical setting with this very sad family. And that resonates a lot with the pandemic life. But it's sure. also that's the thing that a lot of people have commented on is like, that's not the kind of escape people are looking for right now. Like we don't want to be stuck in our houses 
yeah. watching a movie where people are stuck in their houses. And in addition to that, I think the ones like the reason that I ended up like with side splitting laughter in the third act of the film is because <laughs> after two acts of like really like leaning into the seriousness of it, super serious, it just like <laughs> blows up into like full yeah. trash mode lifetime movie. Yeah. And then that's where I actually was like almost like not quite, but bordering on the edge of awe. Don't no, <laughs> don't don't do because... it. Don't give it credit where it doesn't deserve it. Like there's no reason to do that. Because I, I, I was get what you're entertained, saying, Dan. What you're, what you're trying to say it's ironic. Are you going to try and say it's well? Ironic? That's well. I don't. That's the thing. It's, it's like a I comment would not, on the genre. <laughs> I would not go that far. Absolutely yeah, yeah. not. Yeah. But there's just enough of that trashy element that makes oh, you yeah. wonder where it's like, I mean, how much do they do in this on purpose? Which made me think of also just to go back um, to like how this genre has like aged horribly over the years when yeah. this, uh, this kind of story tried to start kind of having a resurgence in the late two thousands with like Lakeview Terrace obsessed the roommate. Right. So, and none of those movies worked, but they also very much bordered on the edge of trashiness where it was just yeah. ridiculous enough where you're like, are they in on the joke? And well, I didn't think they were. No, but I don't know. They're definitely not. Well, I think there's you bring up a really good point, though, like because if you if they had fully leaned into this. Yes. And they were like, you know, we're basically we're a lifetime movie, but we got a lot of money. Um, <laughs> that would have been really fun. I yes. think everybody would have enjoyed it. I think like there was one recently, I forget that was kind of like that. Um, what was the one with uh, Catherine, Catherine Heigl? Remember this? Mm, Unforgettable. I we oh, I saw that on the, on the list, but I wasn't familiar with it. So I didn't put it down. Yeah. Um, I mean, totally trash film, but yeah. super fun. And like, didn't even mean to be fun, but it's so bad. It's fun. Right. You know, this one's just, it's real dour. The yeah, whole thing it really is. is, and like, I got to call a couple things just in like, how this movie was conceived and produced and all that kind of stuff. Um, one is the setting. Um, mm. So this thing was shot in and around Vancouver. It looks like Vancouver, but like they don't really mention where they're at all that much. They're pretending to be in Washington state, but like, <laughs> and this is like a weird thing with me. I'm, I know this is like a word hang up I have with movies, but like geographical accuracy is super important for me for some reason <laughs> it's either that or it's nowheresville and those both work but you can't do the in-between so it's like where do they live exactly would you guess it's so, i mean it's I in mean, washington but what part of washington would you say i i i mean it's got to be on somewhere near the coast right because there's like yeah. a boat and a dock but then also <laughs> here's another reason why i wonder if there was somebody in on the joke maybe not everybody no, you always do this <laughs> because no listen they keep talking about how you're they're looking for you on set is what you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> they they uh casey affleck and michelle monahan keep talking about vacationing in british columbia dude while... I, I have this written down i have this written down on my while on my they're legal literally pad. they're literally in british columbia <laughs> and i'm like but like there's two problems with that okay so this is i'm so glad you brought this up because i had to talk about it one yes you're right they are filming in british columbia in vancouver so that's all, number one odd two and one of the reasons why this movie lacks a lot of punch is that like there's not a lot of specificity to what's happening in these characters oh, it's it's very generalized stuff oh he's a psychiatrist well, what type of psychiatrist is he yeah right like and why is he seeing okay if he works and a university should need to be doing like 
hardcore research and not having clients. Oh, I know. What's like, the, that's what's kind the... of different. Like that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> clients at um, home is home. Yeah. Or is that, like, <laughs> what? That, that, that's not what they do. That's not what clinical psychologists do. Uh, so like, there's all these examples of there being a generalized concept of a character in a setting, but it's like a mile wide and an inch deep. It's yeah. just not there. Exactly. And back to the British Columbia thing, the reason that stood out to me wasn't the fact that like, oh, they're filming in British Columbia. I was like, people in Washington state don't say, hey, let's go to <laughs> British right. Columbia. It's like, that'd be, that'd be like, hey, I'm going to go to, you know, like it's right there. They'd say like, oh, we're going to go to Whistler or we're going to go to this park. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're not going to say like, yeah. oh, we're going to go to British Columbia. We're going to go to Canada. You want to go to Canada for summer? Like what? And then there's that Europe line. Oh, and yeah. then he goes, then he goes, or maybe we can go to Europe. Remember Europe? What are you talking about? <laughs> like it's just the dialogue is terrible in this. Oh my god. Um and it uh I think that but to me, I think we gotta talk a little bit more about the setting too. It is this weird sort of super bourgeois. Mm-hmm. Are they in the suburbs or where are they? Because their They're, house is in the middle of nowhere. Right. And that I mean that gets confusing with the the uh, not just the dialogue, but also the like logistics of uh, the characters moving when they do leave the house. Yeah. Um, like the daughter uh, like can't walk to the library for her study group. <laughs> but then when she's out with uh, Sam Claflin's character, he at some point just says, go home. And she walks home like, what? Yeah, I'm like, where are they? I mean, here's my guess. My best guess is that they live in like an exurb of Seattle. Yeah. Like way far out on the coast, but then there's a little fishing village in town. Yeah, you know where they live. Yeah, then his commute must be terrible because he probably works at University of Washington or something like that. Because it right. looks like the school's at a big place. But the reason but it's I bring all, this up, but it's all close shots, medium shots, so you never really know where the school know. is. Right. Yeah. So I mean, sometimes that never, never land movie set stuff works, but in this case, it's like because the movie is so trying to be grounded in reality yeah yeah. it just just plays so false and so empty it's distracting um it's it is distracting because it's sort of like i want to know more about where they're at and it like that's kind of a shorthand way to build that cinematic universe or whatever that world to immerse the, the viewer in and none of that's happening here it's just not happening at all um and I mean, let's also talk maybe a little bit about Casey Affleck and his character in this, um, because I think it's important. Um, do you think the character is written that terribly, or do you think Casey Affleck was just that bad in this movie? Ooh, that's a really chicken or egg situation. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, here, here's the thing, though. If we're doing, being super rational, he has been very good in movies. Like in Manchester right. by the Sea, he I think he's pretty amazing. In Gone, Gone Baby Gone, like you said, he's good. In Triple Nine, he's not good. Um, I don't know what that is. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, you got to see Triple Nine. It's like uh, okay. our generation's heat. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it tries to be. And Kate Winslet shows up with a Russian accent. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, I really do think that um, there's moments where he he does the best he can with the material. So like my instinct is to say that, it, yeah, it's the script, but I really do feel like he's, he's kind of a husk of a man post me too movement. Um, he is, and, yeah. and uh, he's just kind of trying to coast. It feels like too, but I will say like for as horrible as the movie is, there was one scene in particular between him and Michelle Monaghan where I was like, well, this feels like lifted from a good movie. 
and just like so. plopped in here. And maybe you disagree with me, but the scene where he spoiler alert if anybody's gonna pay twenty dollars to watch this thing. Don't, um, don't pay twenty dollars to watch it. <laughs> um the moment where he forgives his wife for cheating on him. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah. I thought that was a really nice scene and they both played it lovely. Well, they're both good actors. Yeah. Like, she's a phenomenal. I've always I've always think she's been, you know, right. she's underrated. Oh, yeah. way underrated. Uh wasn't she in um what's the one with um the Shane Black movie, which were hey, by the way, spoiler alert, we're doing nice guys next week. Yeah. Um what was it? The one with Al Kilmer? Isn't she in that? In oh. Ron Jr. Kitty kitty bang, bang. Um, kiss kiss bang bang kitty kiss, kitty kiss, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah enough. no she is super good in that movie and she's right. so good she's fantastic um yeah. but uh one thing i want to pick out too is like you know why did people sign up for this these are good actors and coughlin i think is really on the way up and he said mm-hmm. uh in terms of why he took this on uh he goes uh i think the sign of a good script is when you're left shocked and surprised <laughs> and left on the edge of your seat uh, I have to say, I haven't had mountains of thrillers come across my desk for uh, for me to compare them to. But for me, it felt like the first time I was really engaged in the characters and was left not knowing what was going to happen next. I mean, is that... F- I, I guess. Mean, I feel like that's him bullshitting for an interview. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, that's the thing, too. It's like, how did he... How did the, I wonder how these people feel about the movie. Right. And the I mean, one thing that I will say, though, that I might be like the, the sliver of truth that helped him vomit that up for a reporter was that um, even though that those first two acts are very dour, uh, I didn't I and I saw this in a lot of the reviews and we'll talk more about some specific critics reactions to this. Um, but a lot of people thought it was boring, but I think that's the one thing it wasn't. I don't know. What do you think? Oh god, yeah, I thought it was super boring. Really? Uh, okay, I found it eminently yeah. watchable, even though it was terrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it moves at a brisk pace. There's yeah, not there's a, a lot, lot of, that like, happens. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, I think for me, the the hardest part about these films is that like you have to care about the main characters, mm-hmm. and like I think Casey Affleck's character in this is just unwatchable. He's just boring. Obviously, he's depressed, but like that doesn't make for a good protagonist. Yeah. It just makes for like a flat viewing experience. You're like, okay, this guy's kind of fun. The crazy guy's kind of fun. Exactly. He's and a I fun w- dude. He shows up. Um, he creates some fireworks. I was like, yeah, you should go off with this psychopath. He, I mean, it's more of a fun life than spending your life with Casey Affleck. Just like, <laughs> and that like super uh, sterile house they live in. I know. It's like, oh, this is gross. Like you you um, texted me that it, it felt like an extended West Elmad, which is pretty apt. Yes. I mean, it just, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I don't get that. I, but I will say that. Yeah, you're right. It is kind of fun. And these movies are supposed to be that way. They're supposed to be propulsive. Mm-hmm. Um and the behavior of the stalker character is supposed to get more and more ridiculous, which sort of happens here. Um, I thought it was interesting too. Like when Claflin was talking about this script, he was like, um, he thought that Casey Affleck was the one who was a psycho, psychotic. Oh my script. god! I told my wife that <laughs> I was watching a Casey Affleck thriller about a stalker. And she's yeah. like, oh, he plays the stalker, right? <laughs> and I was like, no, but that would have been so much. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if it would have been better because I don't know if he can play that kind of character. But um, and Sam yeah. Claflin did a really great job uh, for what he had to work with. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, 
I mean, I think if you take a sort of broader look at it, like in what works and what doesn't work, I think Laughlin definitely was a good choice for that character. Affleck, I think, was a bad choice. Um, I just don't. Mm-hmm. He's just, I don't know. There's, no, there's nothing really sympathetic about his character. Who would have been a good fit for that if you know considering that maybe they would have had to do some script revisions bob odenkirk <laughs> that would have been cool that would have yeah. been that would that, see that would be interesting and fun and, and like, he could have leaned into the comedy angle too he could have leaned into the comedy angle and like he also because he also feels like um there's a part of bob, bob odenkirk and i think this character needs to feel kind of like a family man almost mm-hmm. like he's gonna mm-hmm. have like, like a down like that sort of like midwestern feel you know what i'm talking about yeah uh and like casey affleck's from boston he comes across as cold he doesn't seem like he even cares about his family all that much yeah yeah uh and that like doesn't play well give me a guy from like iowa Give me somebody who's like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, give me something like that. And like, because that's so important to this character. Never once did I feel threatened by Claflin's character. I was like, I I don't care what he does. I don't care what he does with the family. Like, speaking of that, that there was there was one other moment that I thought Casey Affleck really sold. Um, and maybe that's because he's a husk of a man now. But uh, when he's talking to his boss, and the boss is telling him that uh sam claflin's character has uh, reported casey affleck to the board of i don't know psychiatrists whatever but it's like threatening his job and like <laughs> for whatever oh, reason yeah. the casey affleck puts his I head in his hands scene. and he I just says i don't care i don't care, <laughs> I, don't care anymore. I was like oh you're, this is like sad affleck disease yeah like, it's just it's permeating his entire family and i you know um, it was also like nice moment for the audience to be like yeah man i don't care either <laughs> yeah i don't yeah whatever happens i'm just like more fireworks more explosions yeah. more stabbings with um ice skates let's oh do my god that. yeah that see that see that that they they really they thought about it they tried to they linked it to the beginning and it was but still kind of unexpected it actually linked see here's how you would have done this better because they're on the way to hockey it. practice yeah, I mean, I get that point, but like, it should have been more like she caused an accident that killed their son, and that that would create more attention in the family. Mm-hmm. And then the stalker. So you're not. No one's going to watch this movie. I know that <laughs> no, for no. a fact. Uh, so Sam Claflin's character James ends up being the boyfriend, not the brother of the main character, mm-hmm. and like that's the huge twist, which is kind of because you can see it a mile away yeah, yeah. you can see them the, the like, film opens with her talking about how crazy her ex-boyfriend or her boyfriend is and how manipulative he is and he just disappears and like, i believe no, there's on. i don't know you watch it twice so am i right in remembering that like there's even like a flashback scene where like you can see an overshot of sam claflin yeah i think you're right yeah <laughs> um and wait am i why is he british her brother british because we, he is she, is she british no, the, girl the, the, fam, the family is American, but for whatever reason, unexplained, footage not found, Sam Claflin as a kid was sent to boarding school in London. Oh, God, that makes, yeah. These but, she, but his sister wasn't? I don't know. Oh, um, it, it, um, is Sam Claflin British or is he American? Yeah, he's British, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm always I was going to say, British. because when he, quote, drops the British accent, when he reveals himself to be the boyfriend... At the end, I'm like, mm, you do not sound American. No, yeah, he's from he's from uh, he's from England. Yeah, okay. so 
Um, so I obviously did not like this movie. I thought it was pretty bad. What did other people <laughs> think about this? Are we, am I alone in my hatred of this? No, absolutely not, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a Rotten Tomatoes, all critics, uh, 26%, which I think is nice. one of the lowest we've looked at the top critic score of 17%. Um, the all critics real score is 41 real score for top critics is 25. One of the worst we've looked at on film trace thus far. Yeah. Um, it's bad. Yeah. It's re- it's really bad. Metacritic thirty two, so tiny bit of a bump, but we know that's pretty typical comparing the two sites. Yeah. Rotten Tomato audience score uh, was unavailable as of this weekend, but has <laughs> finally come in. They have enough vo- enough uh, ratings. I think they need to have at least yeah. twenty ratings or something. Um, uh, but it geez. did have a little asterisk saying below fifty ratings. Uh, so thirty eight, still really bad. Horrific. Letterboxd yeah. is fifty four, um, which is bad. But I I mean, what does it take for to get under 50 I think there's on some people on the irony train with you on this yeah maybe one. yeah like oh yeah it's so terrible it's kind of good exactly um imdb noob score of 50 so that's your highest one which makes sense people looking people looking for a good time dan um even though <laughs> looking, just looking for a good time they're looking for an escape <laughs> the first 60 um, minutes are not an escape though they're pretty do you awful. have any favorite reviews from uh critics on this one i had to dig to find a positive review right you had to once again go to the third or fourth page of google results and i found one uh stephanie archer of film inquiry uh said that every breath you take also boasts uh impressive performances overall from its cast fair um further compounding their performances affleck and monahan tackle the layered destruction and rebuilding of their characters relationship both separately and in unison there is clear chemistry and vision displayed in the portrayals they each bring to life i'd agree with monahan but not so much with affleck yeah, I thought Affleck was pretty poor in this. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to think of the negative ones. I think I put this one on here. Uh, Kristen uh, Yunsu Kim from New York Times. Uh, the movie coasts on so many tropes that you almost expect it to subvert them, but the <laughs> plot remains equally foreseeable. Mm-hmm. And I think like that. I think that's ultimately with a with a genre film like this. It's like you have to hit the conventions and do them really well. And that'll get people sort of engaged. And then you got to do something else. You got to add on top. With this one, it's almost like a paint-by-numbers thriller. Yeah. And it just doesn't do anything. It doesn't even hit the mark all that well with those genre conventions. And then it does nothing to add to them. Yeah. Um, I mean, with the story... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I will say, like, we're trying to understand this guy, Von Stein, the director, and what he's going for here um i haven't seen either of his previous films this is his third feature and uh he made a movie called terminal which is like supposedly a zany off the wall like noir is that spy with margot movie? robbie margot robbie as yeah. an assassin and they're stuck in a train station that sounds like a hell of a lot of fun um but it got t- it got pretty bad reviews and then got what got even worse reviews was his 2020 movie inheritance um simon Pegg movie that had the poor misfortune of coming out the same year as knives out uh which yeah. uh is based and it's basically the same plot it's a family fighting over the inheritance of um the patriarch of the family and yeah. but it, once again both of those movies clearly have like a you know over the top zany or like edge to them and then here it's like it's so it's so much grayer it's unsure and so i'm very curious to see what he does next um, yeah. Even though I didn't like this movie, uh, because he has uh, Zach Braff on board 
are we what? are we ready for a breathonaissance? No, uh, please no. <laughs> for a movie coming out next year called Tiburon, um, and it's a shark, shark. movie. Shark, family yeah, shark and family stuck at sea. So I mean, that I sounds, could be on board for that. That, but that, that could end up like that could end up like the happening though, right? You know what right. I'm talking about? Like it sounds cool on paper. The trailer for the happening was amazing, but it was mm-hmm. like inert. It was like anti cinema, which is this. I would put this <laughs> in anti cinema as well. And it was funny you bring up uh, Knives Out because I like I think that movie is just phenomenal, right? Uh, and I was watching Pluto TV today. When I was doing the bike, and they had like all these movie channels, and they just play random movies. And uh, the Bloom Brothers Bloom was on. Same director, yeah. Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I was like watching this and I was like, you know what? I love this movie. It's not good, but I love it because like every scene is just filled with this vitality. Yep. Right. And it's the same thing for like a Quentin Tarantino movie. You're watching this and you're like this, this person who is making this understands the medium so well. Right. That like they could put anything on screen uh, and it's going to have this sort of spark to it. Uh, And then you watch a movie like this, which I did twice in the last week. And like every single scene is just completely drained of any sort of um spark or vitality or it just it's not there this guy doesn't understand how to make movies so it's like you have these interesting and cool ideas i think this same script in someone else's hands could be a lot fun could be interesting um i want i kind of want to wish i could have seen reiner's version of it because he's much more that would have been been terrible for terrible for a whole different reason right but it would have been interesting i think to see like this kind of thriller in a comedy director's hands. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like you said, like Bob Odenkirk in the lead role. I don't know. There's, there is a version of this movie that could have been kind of fun, not good, but maybe kind of fun, uh, more fun than the version we have now, where basically the only, the only fun part is the last 30 minutes. Um, um my last insight, since you mentioned, uh, the, 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 um, the, the that word vitality stuck out to me, and yeah. one of the things that stuck out to me in reading a bunch of uh, a, well, not a bunch. He basically only did two or three interviews with Von Stein. Is that um, I mean, this guy? It's his third feature, so he's getting his feet wet. But he was working for years as an AD or second unit or third unit guy. And one thing that he mentioned about his time as in that kind of uh, more logistical role is that he was very much, he still very much believes in like, you know, cutting on time, uh, making sure that you're on budget and like being basically a, the ultimate rule follower when it comes to uh, line producing and stuff. And so when he uh, goes and does a movie like this, it feels like he wants, and he, he also comes from a world of theater back in Bristol. And so he has yeah. another quote from an interview where he's like, in theater, the text is king. And so it's like, like you said, like he's not doing what Johnson or Tarantino would. Um, and I mean, those guys write their own scripts, so maybe it's not the best comparison, but take, I don't know, somebody like Scorsese who doesn't write his own scripts and like yeah. he, yeah, he does pay, a, he makes sure he has a good script, which is yeah. important, but he also makes sure to transform it so that every scene that winds up on screen has that vitality to it and it yeah. he doesn't give a fuck if it's if it if he goes over budget or if he um has to like take do 50 takes or something like that well that's a, yeah that's something like it's the pure cinema thing that's mm-hmm. i love it like his whole thing it's there yeah there's something about those amazing directors and there's a lot of different styles of it but it's like i almost feel like you could give them anything and they right. would make it seem just pop off the screen 
Um, and I think this is just an example of someone who just doesn't know how to light a fire at the end of the day. Like there's nothing about this film that's really going right. to grab your attention at well, all. Maybe Braff will uh, help him light a spark a fire and uh, um, help him realize that, you know, if he does something that nobody's ever done before, even if it's a silly little dance, like in Garden State. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the last, what's the last Zach Braff movie you've seen? Uh, I did not see the last one. I saw The Last Wish Kiss. You were here. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I rewatched The Last Kiss with actually our friend Molly, uh, and she had never seen it before, and oh, she was God. just... She was very angry by the end. It is, of cultural crimes. It oh, is yeah. really bad. And Zach Braff, yeah, he, whatever, he, he is who he is. Um, you know, I would say about this, the one thing that sort of, uh, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I had problems with. Uh, and the, there's just these scenes in the, the dialogue, like the couch scene. There's a scene in the middle of this movie where it's kind of like a fight between the two leads between Casey Affleck and, and James, the stalker dude. And the culmination of it is them sort of oh moving the couch <laughs> together. Oh and then God. James, like in a, in a way, and this is when Affleck says, you can't, my wife's not going to sell your house, blah, blah, blah. And Cause he was like trying to hit on her and, you know, uh, bed her, so to speak. Um, uh, and, uh, they, they go to move the couch, and then James's power play is, oh, we need to move it more. Yeah. And like, that's the culmination in conflict in this movie, you, is moving you, couches. You think it's going to go somewhere, but it doesn't. It doesn't like you go said, anywhere. It's inert, like the couch. It's yeah, just, it's just, oh, man. Oh, my God. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I'll suggest some good kind of cool stalker movies like you have on this list, like that I've seen that I really like um ingrid goes west phenomenal please see mm-hmm. that um audrey plaza is amazing in that and then girl on the train if you're looking for a schlocky <laughs> lifetime movie that's a lot of fun emily blunt and girl on the train is such a good ride uh have you seen that you've seen it right yeah it's it's such trash <laughs> oh it's like perfect trash though like if you're looking for that style of film yeah and then i would say you know if you haven't seen gone girl please see gone girl i've watched gone girl a hundred times <laughs> Uh, it's a terrible movie uh yeah. the script is a, a total mess but it is so much fun and fincher yeah. the exact opposite of what we're talking about fincher could you know uh film a coffee cup and make it look you know have it be the most vital story yes, you've ever seen exactly. in your life right it's, and so he does that it's like that the exact opposite of what we're seeing here the artsy um, trash yeah yeah so fun times okay so it's our season finale next week Heck yeah. um, and we're gonna do uh, the nice guys. We already mentioned Shane Black uh, and K- Kitty Kitty Bang Bang. <laughs> Is that another movie? Like. <laughs> Chitty Chitty uh, Bang Bang. The Chitty Disney. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> um, uh, so we're gonna do the nice guys, yeah. which came out uh, five years ago. It doesn't feel that long ago when it came out, and I've probably watched right. it like 10, 12 times. It's one of my favorite oh, movies in the last five years. I've only seen it once, so I look forward to rewatching it. Oh, dude, yeah, it's a great rewatch. Um, and so that'll be this season finale. Uh, any closing thoughts? um i will say that uh i i i'm realizing now and i'm not sure if you're realizing it too dan but uh uh it's this this is a movies podcast with two white guys that are ending their seasons with two episodes about canceled (laughs) white guys um so we'll we'll make sure to touch on shane black's whole uh past five years because it's an interesting ride but um i feel like We've really started to hit our stride, Dan. This is, we know who we are. We know what kind of 
cinema we have to deconstruct and trace and uh i i appreciate that i look forward to not only our season finale but next season looking at some more new releases of 2021 and i promise i will find a good one or no you're gonna pick the new movies next season yeah i got the new one so you're yeah you're in my car now, oh man. gosh yeah, okay better, oh, better buckle up for season <laughs> four uh in any event thanks for listening this has been film tricks.